0: Never Too Small, a series for me. (laughs) How appropriate. It's really appropriate that I get to kick off this series because I'm arguably the pastor with the most diminutive stature on staff. But look at this childhood picture of me. (laughs) Aren't I saying early on in life, give it to me, world, don't mess with me. Actually, it shows my early disdain of dresses. <laughs> well, in our kickoff of the summer series, we're looking at some of the younger people of the Bible who, in God's wisdom, are included in the biblical record. They're not as famous as some of the other Bible people we know, but boy, each person, each young person in this series made a big difference. So often, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Jesus just turns things upside down. The materially poor and the grieving, they teach us. The rich and the powerful, they're struck down. Children, children become our teachers. And today, we're gonna look at the story of a young girl who grew up to become one of the prophets of Israel. Most of the time, we focus on the role of her in relationship to her younger brothers, Aaron and Moses. But in Miriam's own story, in her own right, She has a lot to teach us about the kind of leader God uses. When I was growing up in Dorchester and in the South Shore, our TV watching helped form my view of American life and culture. And I've mentioned this before, but I grew up in a working-class immigrant family. My dad knew English, and he finished a GED, But my mother, she immigrated as well from China. She completed fifth-grade education in pre-communist China. She never had a chance to learn English, and I spent all of my life translating for her. My paternal grandfather came to Boston at the beginning of the last century in 1901, and he was one of the first Chinese immigrants in uh, Chinatown, Boston. He's the one who started the whole thing. (laughs) And yes, That's me, still on my tricycle (laughs) with my sister and my brother. I grew up with my grandpa, and I loved him a lot. He made great bows and arrows out of twigs, and he could fashion and make a kite out of paper and sticks. But he, too, never learned to speak English, and we together spent hours watching TV. TV and school were my primary gateways in trying to figure out America. So growing up in my era of TV-watching, there were a lot of TV westerns. Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Daniel Boone, The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin, The Lone Ranger, Zorro, and for we native New Englanders, boom, boom, boom boomtown! Okay, you know what generation I'm from. Watching these Westerns was how the American cultural narrative was being defined for me as a kid. And there's there's always a good and a bad guy, right? The good guy always wore something light-colored. It was black and white TV, so he wore something light-colored. The bad guy's dressed in something dark. The good, good guys always got the girl, and they won the gun battle. Conflicts were resolved in 30 to 60 minutes. Those were the good old days. Part of me wanted to marry Roy Rogers, and become Dale Evans. Oh yes, there she is. He is. So I could sing and yodel my way through the wild western frontier. Images of big skies, open ranges, horses, noble Native Americans, saloons, and horse-drawn carriages filled my imagination. And sometimes these TV theme songs would just stick in my head as well. Watch and listen to this bit from the TV Western, Wyatt Earp. Second thought, maybe I want to marry him instead of Roy. <laughs> but anyhow, brave, courageous, and bold. As you can see, this phrase has never left my mind. And you know what? These same adjectives very appropriately describe Miriam the prophetess. She's one brave, courageous, and bold prophet. So let's enter into our time warp machine together. Let's discover. Miriam as a child, and let's figure out who she is and who she becomes as a grown-up. There are three episodes or acts to her story. Each one offers a distinct and important lesson, and children, let's buckle up, put on your safety belts, because we're gonna go for a ride. Act one. A big sister comes into the Bible story in Exodus chapter two. How about a show of hands here for anyone who is a big sister? Go ahead. Even on the other campuses, I can see you. Okay, big hands, good, good. All right, well, I'm third of four, so I only know about older sister uh, sibling oppression. <laughs> but you are probably well familiar with the story of Moses' beginnings. The people of Israel were held captive as slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. The current pharaoh was afraid of them becoming too powerful and maybe even losing their free labor, so he tried to enlist midwives to kill all the baby boys and to kill the Hebrews. And when that plot didn't succeed, he declared that all the baby boys should just be drowned in a river. This is called a genocide or a pogrom, a systematic attempt to kill Jewish people. Well, this is the context in which Moses was born. And during his time, his parents, Amran and Jochebed thought he was special, and they said he was no ordinary child. And they chose to defy the decree, and they came up with a way to save his life. So the boy is growing up, and instead of throwing him into the river to die like they were commanded to, they hid him for three months. And you parents know, by about three months, the kiddo is not much hittable. <laughs> they start to act up, and they start to talk a lot more, and there's more action. So what the parents did was that they made a small papyrus boat. The Bible calls it an ark. And then um, they placed this, this boat, this waterproof boat, into the river Nile. And just like today, older brothers and sisters are asked to look out for their younger siblings. So here is Moses' older sister. She was sent to see what would happen to him as this little ark was floating in the river. Well, you remember the story, don't you? Just happens to be the time when Pharaoh's daughter came for a bath in the Nile. And if you know your geography, the Nile is this really long river. So, kids, can you imagine a bathtub is almost. 4,200 miles long. That's a couple hundred miles longer than from Boston all the way across to Vancouver. It's like from east to west coast. Isn't that a cool bathtub? <laughs> well, that's where she was bathing in this place. And while she's, you know, she's not bathing in the whole thing, she's blazing in one location. But somehow, this princess sees the basket, and she realizes that there's a crying baby boy inside. And the Bible says she felt sorry for him. And right away, she says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. And with amazing chutzpah and boldness, Miriam, the young girl and daughter of Hebrew slaves, approaches royalty, the princess of Egypt, and she dares to speak to her. Uh, uh, Excuse me, uh, Miss Princess. (laughs) Sorry to disturb your bath. Um, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? And I suspect, with Miriam's question, the princess somehow decides that she wants to rescue and keep this baby. By saving this baby, she's risking her own life. Who knows how her father, the pharaoh, would respond to her act of kindness? Perhaps he would even want her killed as well. Well, the older sister, she rushes to get her mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took the baby home and nursed him. And so Moses gets to go home to his own family. And he was probably there until he was weaned. And later, when the baby was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. And later, sure enough, Moses lifted the people of Israel out of bondage and away from Egypt. What a great older sister. She's protective, capable, brave, obedient, courageous, enterprising, quick-witted, clever, sensitive, unselfish, and amazingly mature for her age. As an Asian-American growing up in a predominantly European-American culture, so Miriam grew up as a minority Hebrew child in the dominant cultural world of Egypt. And like many of us, minority and immigrant Americans, we figure out how the dominant culture works pretty quickly so we can survive. So Miriam, she used her knowledge of how Egypt worked to help keep her family together in a time of really difficult political oppression. And it's very interesting that even though she's so very important to Moses' story, she's not mentioned by name in this passage in Exodus 2, 1 through 10. She's just simply called, his sister, or the girl. Do you wonder how old she is when this is happening? Exodus 7 tells us that Aaron was three years older than Moses, and the Hebrew word to describe the sister um, means a girl of marriageable age. So it could be that this unnamed sister may be 12ish, and much older than her brother Aaron and Moses. Now, isn't it just like God to use a middle-school-aged girl born in slavery in such a significant way in the story of the people of Israel? Never too small in God's eyes, right? Well, here in Exodus 2, there's a story of three unnamed women who are a mother, a sister, and a daughter of the Pharaoh. They never should have had their lives intertwined. After all, there's issues of social class that would keep their lives apart, and it's only God that allows a Hebrew slave family to meet a powerful royal Egyptian princess in a mutually beneficial way. These strong, courageous, and bold women are defiant Each one is choosing to give life to a baby boy, and they're shaking their fists against the political power of the day, which is ordering death. How courageous. How gutsy. In God's sovereign history, here are three females working together as allies to assure a very important baby's future. And although we don't hear again about Moses' sister until Exodus 15, some 40 years later, I can't help but imagine that, in these decades, God allowed Miriam to develop her quiet, behind-the-scenes kind of leadership skills that she began to show as a kid. Perhaps she found out ways to team up with her brothers as they defied Pharaoh and demanded to be freed from slavery. A nation of three million people would have lots of opportunities for leadership. Well, eventually, it's time for them to make a break and to leave Egypt. Moses led his people across the Red Sea to their freedom from Egypt. And it's a remarkable story that I won't tell again today. But without a doubt, Miriam was present watching her people cross on dry land with a wall of water on the right and on the left. And no doubt, she watched Moses at the command of the Lord stretch out his hand on the other side, and the sea went back to its place. Sweeping the entire Egyptian army to its end. I'm sure, I'm sure it took a long time to sink in. And eventually, though, it becomes real. They're free. They're free at last. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. In Exodus 15, 20 to 21, we see Miriam in her most visible, upfront leadership role. This is her second act, and this is probably her finest hour. It is in verse 20 of this passage that the older sister to Moses and Aaron, she finally gets a name, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister. She gets a name, and she's given a role. Miriam's name may mean rebellious or strong waters. Some scholars think that because she was born during a time of cruel enslavement, she was called Miriam because the Egyptians made life bitter for her people. Her name, as you know, is the um, Hebrew form of Mary, which later became a common name for Jewish girls, and of course is the name for Jesus' mother. And what is a prophet or a prophetess? That's somebody who's close to God, somebody who's able to discern God's thinking and to speak it out. He or she is set apart, called and sent by God himself. And in the Old Testament, a prophet was always a strong figure. And even though there are many, many, many more men described as prophets, there are some female ones, and gender is never an issue. Female prophets are not seen as unacceptable or inferior. Instead, their existence is taken for granted, alongside with their ability to hear from God and to speak for Him. Miriam the prophetess took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her with her, uh, af- went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, "Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider He has thrown into the sea." This poem of praise is often called the Song of Miriam. It's perhaps, according to scholars, the oldest Israelite poem in the Bible. And in this defining moment for the nation of Israel, they're exhausted, they're exhilarated, they're excited, and they're overwhelmed. What did they choose to do? Miriam, a woman, leads them in singing and dancing and worship. 400 years of captivity are over. We are free from our oppressors. We're free to worship God. And as my young friend's daughter says, every time I hear Irish music, I have to tell my brain to stop. I don't want to become too danceful. (laughs) And I suspect that's what's happening here. Once the music started, the people became really danceful. And Miriam is leading the way. It's clear she's a leader. It's clear she has followers, and I suspect God was enjoying the worship celebration being given to him on the other side of the Red Sea that day. The second act of Miriam's life may have been her finest hour. The third act, the next big glimpse we get into Miriam's life, is found in Numbers 12 1 through 16. And here, We get to see a real family at work as they work out some real issues as they disagree among themselves. Here, we see a prophetess face her failure in a way that gives us real hope for our own leadership. Miriam and Aaron talked against Moses behind his back because of his Cushite wife. He had married a Cushite woman. They said, is it only through Moses that God speaks? Does he also speak through us? Well, when people disagree, usually there's more behind the scenes than what first meets the eye. It's almost like an iceberg. We see the top of an iceberg, that's the presenting disagreement, but underneath the surface, there's the real fuel, there's the real root issues that are underneath the disagreement. Maybe lots of years of feeling mistreated, resentment, Bitterness, rivalry, envy, feeling unappreciated, unheard. These are unresolved issues. And our family is not immune to issues like this. And I suspect yours aren't either. When I was a child, we were taken to lots of Chinese wedding banquets. I, seemed, I think I must have been to a 1,000 of them they were almost always held at the China Pro restaurant in Chinatown because they had the largest banquet room. Not the best food, just the largest room. <laughs> We'd be seated by our family groups, and sometimes, I remember one time, I noticed that uncle wasn't sitting by his wife and family. So I leaned over and I asked my parents, why isn't he sitting, you know, with wife and family? And they'd answer. My mom and dad just looked at me really quickly and said in our dialect, Ayah, ya be quiet. I'll tell you when we get home. Eat some more abalone. <laughs> and later, when we finally got home, I was told that Uncle had two wives. One, he married in China before the Communist Revolution, and she was stuck. And then when he got to the U.S., he married another Chinese woman in the U.S. But as things had it, The second wife, first wife, was able to immigrate to the US, so now he had two wives, both in Chinatown, with him. (laughs) And they said he chose to not sit with either of them so he could keep the peace. (laughs) Well, even today, in my conversations with my two living siblings, there are certain topics we find hard to discuss. There's just lots of family history, Lots of tension in the iceberg of our family life. Your family too? Well, remember, Miriam is the oldest sister of her two brothers, Moses, the famous Egyptian prince guy, and Aaron, the high priest. And I wonder if she was beginning to resent her youngest brother's exceptionalism. You know, the fact that he was clearly the number one leader of Israel. Well, when this conversation takes place, it's likely that these siblings, the younger brothers, are probably in their 80s, and Miriam may even be 90 or 100. And today, 80- and 100-year-old siblings, this conversation likely would take place in a nursing home. (laughs) You know, Aaron, don't you think our younger brother is getting a little full of himself? What does he think? he Is he a spring chicken or something? He's married another Kushite woman! Speak up, Miriam, I can never hear you. (laughs) Do you want a cushion? A cushion? (laughs) I have spent many years in a nursing home. (laughs) So the land of Cush refers to ancient Nubia in the south of Egypt, which is modern-day Ethiopia. And Moses' second wife was maybe darker-skinned and more African-looking. And this is verified by the well-known Danish Bible authority, Lego. (laughs) You don't have to get to seminary to get knowledge like this. Some commentators want to imply that there was racial prejudice going on. And others would be quick to say that Kushites were not a people group forbidden uh, by Jews to marry. So Moses wasn't disobeying God by marrying a Kushite. But it turns out, this conversation about a second wife is really a mask to the real issue. Beneath the surface of this family's interpersonal iceberg was that they were challenging Moses' role and authority in the nation. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? You can see where they're coming from, can't you? Miriam and Aaron. They both have also played key roles in Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Here they are, they're pretty close to the promised land at last, after years and years of wandering. They may be tired, they may be grumpy, may be jealous, envious, feeling underappreciated. What they end up doing, though, is they end up talking among themselves, and they question, Their younger brother's authority. And today, we call this gossip. I imagine that Moses was hurt, and in hearing this behind the scenes gossip from his own brother and sister, after all, they served together for decades, through thick and through thin. He knows, he knows he's alive today because of what his sister did, her brave act that saved him. He knows. Aaron was given specifically by God to him to be his mouthpiece. He was his right-hand pal. But do you notice here in this passage, Moses doesn't speak a word as all this is happening around him. He keeps silent, and he doesn't defend himself. And that may be a good reminder to us that in the heat of criticism and disagreement, it's wise to pause, to pray, and to not rush in in our own self-defense. When I found myself in what has been one of the most difficult times for me in my ministry life before coming to Grace Chapel, I heard accusation and innuendo about what I said, what I said or didn't say in a really tough supervisory situation. Early on, I resolved in my heart to try not to defend myself and to let God be my defender. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't without significant bumps and bruises as the whole thing unfolded. But I'm glad, I'm glad today that I didn't try, for the most part, to justify myself or to explain my side of things. God was and God is my defender. God was and God is Moses' defender. Silence is powerful. Let the Lord do the talking. Moses is described as humble, meaning that his leadership, in his leadership, he was genuinely subordinating his interests to those of God and the cause. He seeks, he hears from, he rejoices, and he does justice and righteousness in God's name. And his authority comes not only from his position, but also from his character, from his personal Um, character. And because he was such a stellar model of faithfulness before God, he wasn't meant to be criticized. In God's eyes, Moses was unique. So when the siblings criticized and questioned his authority and role as a leader of his people, God is miffed. He summons all the siblings, you three come to the meeting tent now. Now children, This is kind of like being called by your full name. Thomas Peyton Jones, come now. Or in my case, it's being called by my complete Chinese name, Yip Thu Jun, and it always meant big trouble. (laughs) And so it's true even in this case, Miriam and Aaron were in big trouble before God. Listen to me, you will have prophets, I, the Lord, will let them learn about me through visions. I will speak to them in dreams. But Moses is not like that. He's my faithful servant. I trust him with everyone in my house. When I speak to him, I talk face to face with him. I don't use stories with hidden meanings. I show him clearly what I want him to know. And Moses can look at the very image of the Lord. So... Why were you brave enough to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord was very, very angry with them, and he left them. In Exodus 33, the Lord also speaks of his special relationship with Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. In the third act of her story, Miriam and Aaron made the mistake of not really knowing who their younger brother was in the eyes of God. Perhaps they mistakenly thought of him more as a kid brother and not the prophetic leader, deliverer of Israel, and most importantly, friend of God. Moses had a unique and special calling, and by their murmuring and gossiping, they were questioning this. And because Miriam and Aaron didn't properly fear Moses, God chose to strike Miriam with a severe skin disease that turns her skin as white as snow. This was not Miriam and Aaron's finest hour. They did something that really offended God, and there were serious consequences. Now, have you wondered why Aaron didn't get zapped with leprosy too? It's, It's puzzling, isn't it? Was this another sign of the patriarchal culture of the Old Testament? Well, it seems that Miriam was a ringleader. She's mentioned first in verse 1, it says Miriam and Aaron. And other commentators have surmised that Aaron was spared because he was a high priest, and in his position as high priest, if he was physically disfigured, that would disqualify him in his role of leadership as a priest. It's not clear why Miriam bore the brunt the physical brunt of the punishment and Aaron committed the same sin but he only experienced internal anguish. What the Bible does say is that Miriam got the disease and she suffered a week of exile outside the camp away from her family and the community. Well as soon as Aaron sees what happens to his sister's hand and body he turns to Moses and immediately pleads on her behalf oh my lord do not punish us because we have done foolishly, and we have sinned. And Moses intercedes, asking God to heal Miriam. And God does, seven days later. Miriam's status as an important prophetess leader is the fact that the people waited seven days before they broke camp and continued on their journey. Even in her very public leadership failure and sin, Miriam's life was instructive to her people as they waited at camp in the desert for her return. They had a chance during that time to reflect on the seriousness of sin, the reality of judgment, the need to repent, the importance of prayer, and the wonderful gift of forgiveness. They saw that this unity and disagreement that wasn't addressed would have its consequences, and that it was important to come clean, to come before God, and to acknowledge our role in communication breakdowns. Aaron, he learned to pray and to acknowledge his role as in his complaint about Moses. And Miriam, she got this unexpected week of soul care in the desert, where she could experience God's grace, mercy, and compassion. She repented, and she was restored. And the entire community recognizes that sin grieves God and destroys individuals and families. Thanks God for his amazing grace. So brothers and sisters, we are never too small in God's eyes. From Miriam's life and story, we see that God is sovereignly at work in all the circumstances of our lives. From the days of our tricycle riding, to the time of our retirement. From the early days of your marriages to the days when we say goodbye to our loved ones. In the times of great public acclaim and success, and the times of illness and challenge and failure, through all of our lives, God sees us and he's with us. God is at work in the beginning of our lives as kids, He's with us as we figure out how to make decisions as teens and as young adults. He's present with us as our families grow, and he's with us even as we become the next generation. When we struggle or are afraid or feel alone, God is with us. Through all of life, in our best and worst moments, God is with us. Miriam's failure or mistake, it was a big one. It was public, God called her on her sin and he punished her. So even a prophetess, a minister, a pastor, an elder, a lay leader, no one is exempt from the consequences of bad choices and bad behavior. Yet Miriam is offered mercy and in the ups and downs of her life, She is a real role model for us. God begins his work in us at an early age, and even in his sovereign mercy, before you and I even acknowledge God's reality in our lives, he stays with us through all of life, in our best and in our worst moments. So maybe you too have had a tough act three in your life. Perhaps you were once a public leader, are very influential in your school, in your work, in your family, or in your church. Maybe you made some bad decisions that have cost you status, regard, and perhaps brought you public, or even worse, that internal sense of personal shame. Well, today, you may be feeling like you're watching life go by on the sidelines, or you may be even feeling that you're permanently disqualified. Well, Miriam's story is just for people like you and me. It's the story of God's mercy, grace, and kindness in all of our lives. Whether we're younger or double ARP card-carrying members or somewhere in between, God is still at work in us, changing our character. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And brothers and sisters, God's promise to us in this whole character transforming process through all of our life is this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And while your eyes are closed, I want to share a prayer written to the girls and daughters in the church. Often girls and women don't get to know that God loves and cherishes them as much as he does boys and men. And often the church is at fault. So let's hear this as if God were speaking to the girls and women of Grace Chapel today. My precious daughter, you have a high calling in Christ Jesus. I made you a woman but I also place leadership potential in you. You are not inferior. Whether you are called to lead a church, a business, a small group, children's program, a Bible study, I can empower you with the boldness you need. Don't limit me and my power in your life. Just as Miriam grew in confidence and became a prophetess to her nation, so can you grow in your gifts and abilities? Let me train you. Let me chisel your character and form Christ in you. Let me speak through you. Just as I discipline Miriam as a daughter, I will shape, mold, and make you into a woman who honors her father in heaven. Amen.